Welcome to the 143rd episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on August 9th, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway, and I'm the editor of GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of this here show with me. As always, Corey Motley, podcast producer and co-host here at So Video Games. How you doing, Corey? Hello, Brad. I'm doing pretty well. Um, in true Corey fashion, I would like to begin this podcast by derailing us for like two minutes on something that has nothing to do with the podcast. It wouldn't be so video games if we didn't instantly <laughs> derail. But it is. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good mood, and I want to tell you why I'm in a good mood, because something kind of oddly serendipitous happened today. I, and I also want to ask you about how things are in uh, the state of Washington, because as you know, as everybody listening know, I bought a car about, I don't know, like three weeks ago. I also got my motorcycle fixed around the same time period. And growing up in the Midwest, when I was in Missouri and whenever I was in Nebraska, whenever you bought a car, if I'm not mistaken, you bought the car, you waited for the registration and the title to come to you in the mail, and then you took the title to the DMV or a place in order to get, like, the plates for it and everything. But here in... Louisiana. If I'm not, I think that's how it worked in the Midwest. So if I'm getting that wrong, if anybody lives in Nebraska or Missouri, please tell me. Pretty sure that's how things went my entire life. In Louisiana, you buy the car and then like a few weeks later, the dealership calls you and they're like, hey, we have your plates, come get them. And you don't have to like, and your registration form, like you don't have to go to the DMV. You don't have to take all your papers. You don't have to wait in line for 600 years. You just wait for them to come into the thing and you go get your plates. And today the weird thing happened where my plates were ready at the dealership. So I drove in after work and I got my plate. And also I play, I should say plates only because in Louisiana, you only have a back plate in the Midwest. I had front and back plates on my cars for my entire life. Um, and I got my registration, and then I got home, and waiting for me in the mail was my title for my car. So it was a weird, like, <laughs> serendipitous thing where I got, somehow the mail magically synced up with the dealership. I got my title the same day as I got my plates, and I got my registration, and everything just worked so well. And I'm pretty sure it's never been that easy for me before. So that's, like, a little thing that put me in a good mood. How Do you know how the car stuff goes where you are? Um, no. <laughs> I wasn't I, sure. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I guess people maybe, unless you bought a car recently, you don't know. But I'm pretty sure, like, I had to go to the DMV and stuff for my entire life in the Midwest after I got the car to get the plates. I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty damn sure that's how it went. But here, you just, like, get them from the dealership a couple weeks later. And it's very strange, <laughs> but also convenient to me. Well, I mean, not trying to be flip or anything, but we haven't bought a car in, like, a long time. I mean, we're not people that trade up cars very often, and both of our cars are paid off because we've kept them for long enough that we actually, you know, got to the end of the payments, and we've kept up on the maintenance and stuff. So it's, I mean, the last time we bought a car was probably, like, 12 years ago? Oh, my gosh. Or something like that? Like, we we haven't we haven't bought a car recently, but I, I seem to recall... That the dealers here did most of the work, and I want to say that we just got the registration in the mail, and I'm pretty sure we either got the plates... I'm pretty sure we got the plates in the mail, because I don't remember driving back to the dealership. I could be wrong, but I mean, 
basically along the same lines. We didn't have to go to the DMV for that, I don't believe. Um, I mean, but, you know, things could change. I, my memory could be playing tricks on me. It's been quite a while. Um, so I can't say for sure. Okay, I just wanted to pick your brain, but whenever you ask me how I was doing, I'm doing well because I got that stuff today. And also I took a big-ass nap after work, so I'm, like, feeling energized. I have a glass of iced Thai tea next to me. I'm fresh off a nap, and I'm feeling really good today. Well, that is excellent. I'm glad to hear that you are feeling good. I am feeling good also. Looking forward to uh, getting this show recorded. Um, you know, just a little bit of behind-the-curtain information. It was a real struggle. I know we say this every week, but it was a real <laughs> struggle to get this show scheduled. You know, thank you very much for you being flexible, because I know that we were not planning to record this day. Um, this weekend is just kind of like filling up with unexpected events. Nothing bad, just, you know, things popping up and having to reschedule and everything. So thank you for your flexibility. And I'm really glad that we could find a time tonight, because if it wasn't tonight, I'm not sure when it would have been, and I don't want to skip an episode. So anyway, all right. Uh, Just so you know, folks, this has been our banter segment that you just listened to. That is the entirety (laughs) of the banter we've got this week. Um, We are actually stuffed to the gills with titles to talk about. And we are in a little bit of a time concern, nothing to worry about, um, but we're going to skip the banter this week. Uh, So I hope you enjoyed hearing about Corey's uh, (laughs) license and title adventure and about my keeping my car forever. Uh, So anyway, apologies if you wanted more banter than that. We are going to be skipping it this week. There's not going to be anything after the closing music. Also, just a real quick apology to some of you who are recovering from last week's explicit and gory banter. Apparently we grow... We grossed a few people out. Sorry, that was not our intention. I didn't think it was that gory. I didn't even get into really the details that much. I kind of I kind of pulled back from the details, so I guess I'm glad I didn't go all the way in on that. But anyway, apologies if I made you hurl. Uh, not my intention. Uh, so hopefully you're feeling better and less queasy by now. But um, unless you've got any housekeeping, Corey, I say let's talk about some games. Anything on your plate before we move ahead? Um, I don't think so. I'm I'm ready to talk about some games, Brad. Let's talk about some games. I'm going to turn it over to you first. Uh, and in a first, a So Video Games first, I actually got the script written ahead of time. And I had enough time to actually do the research that you have been pretty good about doing, which I have been terrible about doing. <laughs> uh, looked up these games, looked up their release dates, looked up their developers. So I feel way more prepared, way more on top of things. We're going to do justice to tonight's docket. So we're starting off with you. Shattered Lights, and I must emphasize that's L-I-G-H-T-S because there's another game called Shattered Light, which is a totally different game. So this is Shattered Lights. With I an did S. not know this. Yep, I, I found that out earlier tonight, and they're both kind of like, uh, I don't know if they're in the same genre, but they're very easily confused for each other. I was having a hard time telling which one was which until I looked at the actual screenshots. Uh, but Shattered Lights is crafted by... Team Morbid, uh, released this year, 2019, by a group of students who are going to university in the Netherlands, and unless I'm mistaken, I believe their university is the one who published the game. So that's all I know about it. Uh, Corey, tell us about Shattered Lights. I would love to. Also, Brad, I'm so proud of you for doing your research this week. I'm proud of myself, (laughs) but don't count on me ever doing it again. (laughs) Well, this is enough. We can always think back to this episode and remember fondly how wonderfully you did your research for the show. We'll always have this moment together. (laughs) Indeed, nothing can take this moment from us. Um... Absolutely, absolutely not. I want to take a selfie right now. I I should take a selfie myself. Hold on. I'm take a picture real quick. Smile. Okay. All right, go on. on. All right, let's talk about Shattered Lights for a second. So I did... um... 
Uh, earlier in the week, I just kind of on a whim had been thinking about um, how I hadn't played VR in a long time. As uh, we know, as regular listeners know, um, I have an HTC Vive VR set for uh, my at-home PC. I don't know if there have been multiple entries of the HTC Vive, but I have whatever the old one is, whatever like the first original one is, um, just to get everybody up to speed if there's any new people here Um and I'm kind of like the VR guy more or less for the show because I have a VR system like ready and waiting. And for a while after I had it, I feel like I was bringing VR stuff like pretty regularly to the show, like maybe like once a month or there were occasions where I would just bring all VR to the show. Um, and I haven't really talked about VR in a long time because, you know, the, the HTC is still hooked up and everything, but the room that I use VR for is also like my photo studio room and in the house it's also... Um, if I ever film YouTube videos, which I haven't been doing lately, um, same room. It's our serves as our spare bedroom. It's also the office where the computer is, where I edit photos. So it's just like it's not always convenient to have like a big space of room cleared out for it. But it has been cleared lately. So I plugged in everything for the VR the other night, and I decided to play some games. And Shattered Light is one of. I'm bringing two VR games this week, but Shattered Light is one of the two. Shattered Lights, I'm sorry, is one of the VR games that I'm bringing to the show this week, and. I don't remember when I bought it. I don't remember how much it was. I just know that it was on my Steam list, and I thought, oh, here's a VR game I haven't played before, but it's right here, so why don't I try it? And there's something incredibly unique about Shattered Lights that's different than every other VR game I've played, because most VR games, you have the headset on, you have the controllers in your hands, and when you're looking, when you're in the game, you generally use the controllers as like a teleport mechanic to walk you around. Some games... You can actually physically walk around by using the little thumb pads, but a lot of games use a teleport mechanic because it uh, inspires less motion sickness than physically moving you around and acting like you're walking. But Shattered Lights, I think, to my knowledge, is the first VR game I've played that does this really cool thing where, and I'm going to say really cool, and I'm going to be like, oh, this is so amazing. And I just know that on the other end of the line, Brad's going to be rolling his eyes, and he's going to be like, why is this interesting? This is not innovative at all. This is stupid. <laughs> but I just want to talk about it. So it does a thing where it is like a full room scale VR game. And I don't know if the game itself, like expands or contracts based on how big your room is because one of the first things you do when you set up a vr system is you like hold the controller out and you kind of walk around your room and trace the perimeter of the walls with the controllers so that way it sets up a barrier so whenever you're playing a game you have these like bright blue gates that kind of show up when you're in the game so if you're getting close to a wall um, where you might punch or close to the wall in front of you or the sides, this like blue gate will show up and you can turn it off, but I have it turned on uh, in every game where it'll keep you from running into the walls. So it's a cool like, you know, kind of room scale measurement system. So that way you're not just like flailing around and running into walls and falling over and everything. But Shattered Lights does not have a teleport mechanic. Instead, the game is measured. Um, and like I said, I don't know if it does this on purpose or if our room just happens to be the right size for this. It measures the game space to the room that you're in, or at least in our room. And instead of teleporting around, you physically walk around the entire area. And it it kind of sets up a series of rooms where in the first room, this is a first-person horror game, by the way. I probably didn't say that yet. It's kind no, of... No, hold, on, hold on a second. All I, right. You've lost me already. Oh, like my I, God. Oh, my God. Okay. 
I feel like you said something important, but I absolutely did not comprehend what it was. Did you say what was unique yet, or did you not say? Yes, it is instead of using the thumb pads on the controllers to, like, walk your character around the environment, and by your character, I essentially mean you, because it's a first-person game, you physically walk yourself around the entire room to get everywhere you need to go in the specific room you're in at any point. Isn't that how... A lot of VR works already? No, because a lot of VR, you just kind of stand in one spot and you use the controllers to, like, teleport yourself around big environments and or, like, use them to walk around. I mean, there are some some games call for a little bit more movement than others. Like, say, um, Super Hot, you're, you know, ducking a little bit. You're maybe taking one step side to side or one step forward and back, but you're not, like, physically walking around. Or, I mean, you probably can, but... It's not necessary for you to physically like walk around the entire space that you have the VR mapped out for. But in Shattered Light, that's the only way for you to move. And every area of Shattered Lights is it's physically mapped to the space of your VR. And the only way to get around is to actually move your entire body to get a, like I this I don't know if I'm explaining this very well but you have I mean I understand I totally understand what you're saying but I guess I'm okay so like number one I am not the VR expert <laughs> like I I've done VR like maybe like five times in my life and never for very long I don't own a VR headset so I am I am 1000% not the VR expert so I'm going to look to you for your expertise in this but I was under the impression that if you are using a room scale VR setup that there were some games that did let you move around and that was how you got, not all of them. I know there's the teleport thing. I know that some games use controllers as normal, but I mean, is that not a thing? Like no other games ever let you walk around? Cause I thought, I thought some did that. Am I, am I just like making that up in my head? You're, you're not making that up. There are some that do it, but I think this is the first game I've played all the way through that. That's the, that that's like the main means of transportation. Cause there are some like escape room style games where, it puts you in the room and it's basically the entire game is just that one room and you kind of have to physically walk around and like look through the drawers and like, I don't know, tap on a keyboard or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're totally not wrong. This is a thing that exists in other games, but I it's special for me because I think this is the first one that I've played and that I've played all the way through because there's a game called, um, I don't it's called like Don't Touch Anything or something like that. And like that's an escape room game where you, you do physically walk around that one too, but you're in, as far as I know in that one, you're in the same exact room for the entire game, but in Shattered Lights, it sets itself up to where you're walking around physically in the space, but you're also opening doors. And, like, in real life, you know, the door, you're kind of just, like, opening the door and walking right back into where you were a second ago, but in the game, it, like, takes you to a new area. Like, does that make sense? It makes total... I mean, you make perfect sense. I understand exactly what you're saying. I guess my confusion is i guess i just thought that was more commonplace than the way you're making it sound but again i am not the vr expert i i wouldn't know you would know far better than i would so i guess i'm just like oh i figured we were already there doing that but (laughs) and i I I don't think you're wrong i mean i think there are a lot of games that do it but i tend to i mean maybe this is something about me like i gravitate toward the games where you know because a lot of them are kind of like one-off escape room games where it's like okay you're here in this room you have to look around and I don't know, find the binder on the shelf and find the code. And there are so, there are games like that, but I don't think those games are very interesting. And maybe it's because I haven't done like an escape room in real life, so I don't really understand like how it works. And plus, I'm not really like a puzzle game kind of guy. And those are very like heavily based on puzzles and about looking at stuff in the immediate environment. 
Whereas Shattered Lights is more, I mean, it's more of like a walking sim, to be honest. You're just walking around the same but if you're actually walking like, you're actually, if you're actually walking <laughs> yeah it's an actual it's an actual walker it's not a walking sim it's a true walker <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's yeah there's really no, walking no simulation here at all you're it's a real walking game <laughs> and, but i mean the thing that makes it unique for me is the fact that like you it sets up itself and that's kind of like the cool thing <clears> of the game that i want to talk about a little bit is that it sets itself up to where like you're moving to new environments in the game but the game world has you walk in a way to where you're obviously you never leave the environment because you're not going to like walk out of your bedroom out of your house you know to get to a new place because the freaking cord wouldn't let you walk that long but it's like you the first room you start out in is this kind of like kind of like archival kind of gross looking like electrician-y looking room and there's a little elevator behind you. And so you can like walk freely around and you look at, you can look at stuff and there's like, you know, a blinking light in the corner. So it's a little bit creepy and you like press a power switch. And then there's an elevator behind you that, that powers on. And when I say elevator, I mean like old school, like the walls are exposed, like tiny little, like mini cargo type elevator. And you physically like walk yourself into the elevator and then you, you know, there's a switch on the wall. You like pull the little lever and then the elevator takes you somewhere else. So in the game, you're suddenly in a new space, but in real life, you're obviously standing in the same spot that you okay. were when you got in the okay. elevator. And so it kind of takes you through this series of rooms where, you know, you walk out of the elevator. And, I mean, it's it's only like an hour long, so this isn't like a big epic sure, game. Sure. Um, but it's just really cool because, like, you have a flashlight, and it's like, you know, it's kind of like scary, and there's like noises and stuff, and it's kind of dank and a little bit Silent Hill-esque. And because you're working in a confined space, um, a lot of the rooms that you're moving through are like really tight hallways where you have to like walk up to the end of the hallway and you know, you're kind of like peeking your little flashlight around the corner because you hear some scary noises and you're making these like really sharp turns to kind of go through these like, like they're like labyrinthine rooms, but they're also really small. And it's just like the physicality of the way that they made the spaces for each room is really well done and really fascinating to me. Um, and I know I'm bringing this to the show as if it's some like amazing new technology, but I know there's got to be other games out there that do this. This is just the first one that I've played. And you're like opening a lot of doors and you're walking around these little hallways and there's a part toward the end where you have to crawl into a ventilation duct. So you literally like get down on all fours and you're crawling around your room like an idiot to get through these ventilation <laughs> did, you, did you get a video of this? Because I've requested several times. <laughs> I need Corey in VR video. I still have yet to see a single video. Where's Patrick? Put Patrick on real quick. He is. I need this. I need this to be filmed. <laughs> He's conveniently not home at the moment. And, uh, oh, bastard. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I've not filmed any of this, but, um, but yeah, there's like a section where you go through a ventilation duct and you're literally like crawling around the room on all fours, like getting through this ventilation duct. And like, there's one part where, you kind of like walk through this little hallway and it takes you out to like the ledge of this big like mechanical structure and you have to like shimmy along the ledge and you're looking out and instead of being in this cramped confined room like you've been in a lot of the game you're suddenly seeing this giant exposed sort of like mechanical chasm in front of you and you like literally have to shimmy down this like little ledge in order to get to the other side. And it's really, it's a really great use of space and a great use of visuals. And it just kind of puts you in, it's just one of those like scary VR things where it's like, oh, suddenly you're up in the air and you're on this tiny ledge and you have to physically walk around the room. Like you're not just pointing a controller and pressing a button in order to get somewhere like you do in a lot of games. You're physically walking around the space to get where you need to go. And I mean, in this game, like I, I really liked it and I thought it was really clever and really well done. 
but it's also like for the average player, like for you, for example, if I put you in this game, you would probably be like, oh, like, what's the big deal? Like, I don't really get it. Like, I've been walking around, you know, entire cities and other video games, and you're like making a big <laughs> deal out of like walking around this one room like a million times. I've been but... <laughs> walking around my whole damn life. What's going on here? <laughs> but just like the way that they made the space work in order to take you, because you move through probably like 20 or 30 rooms in the game, and... And the fact that you, like, physically walk around, you know, the perimeter of the room every time and you're walking through these tiny little hallways and you're pointing your flashlight and you're opening doors and you're taking elevators and just the way that they map the space to work with your room scale VR system in order to get around, I thought was really impressive. And I didn't mean to talk about this game as long as I am because I thought I was going to be like, oh, here's a technology. I liked it. The end. But I guess maybe it's worth, like, talking about just a tiny bit more because, like, I just thought it was really clever and really well done, and I was really impressed with the way that, you know, they mapped the space and the, how creepy it was and everything. And there's, like, a big old jump scare at the end because, of course, there's a jump scare at the end. So, you know, spoiler alert, if you're going to play this game and you're, like, terrified of VR jump scares, maybe, like, I don't know, sit this one out or something. Um, but I, th I was really impressed by it because I haven't played anything like this on VR yet, even though I'm sure there's stuff out there like it. And I just thought it was really well done. I want to give a little shout-out on the show. So... Whoever the university students at uh, at Morbid Games, like, uh, good job, guys. Like, this is good work, and I'm really impressed. Excellent. Well, this, you know, I I, I didn't know what to expect when you were going to bring this game to the docket. And I guess that, you know, you kind of shed some light on a big, um, I don't know, gap in my game knowledge. I mean, I don't think it's currently possible for any one person to know everything about games. It's just gotten too big and too diverse. Um, there's just not enough time for everything. And I've got my like like more than I can handle just focusing on strictly console games. Like I'm totally ignoring VR. I'm totally ignoring mobile. I'm totally ignoring um, PC. And even with like cutting out those huge swaths of gaming, I still cannot keep up with what I've got. So getting this perspective, I think, is really good and kind of gives me kind of more of an idea about where, you know, maybe not VR as a whole, but like where you are as a VR player. You're, you know, you play VR way more than I do and just kind of where things are at. So, yeah, interesting interesting look and i mean i guess it says a lot for team morbid uh who are still university students seems like they maybe they got a good uh bright future ahead of them i hope so i hope that um i don't know they will go on to be vr developers or something like that because this is pretty i was just impressed by the way that they mapped the game and how well it worked for room scale vr and just like i hadn't you know because i'm so used to just teleporting in games using the thumb pad and the controllers this felt like a really kind of fresh experience for me and i really appreciated it Excellent, excellent. Sounds good. That was Shattered Lights, uh, available, I guess. You said it was on um, which VR system? Um, I am playing it on HTC Vive on PC. I'm not sure if it's on... I mean, I'm sure... I think most games are compatible with that and with Oculus. I'm not positive, but I'm playing it on the Vive. Okay, great. Once again, that was Shattered Lights with an S from Team Morbid, uh, just released this year. Uh, up next is me, and I'm going to be talking about a game called Refunct, R-E-F-U-N-C-T. I believe this was made by either one person or by a very small team, but in the credits, uh, the only person listed is Dominique Grieshofer. I don't know um, who that person is, never heard of that person before. Uh, Look them up. They've only made one other game, uh, so just uh, I don't know if they're still doing games or what they're up to. But Refunct was released in 2015 on PC, 
I don't know what happened, and I, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't remember how I ended up picking it up, but I saw it on PS4, and I, I, it must be really recent, because I don't remember seeing it before, um, maybe that's just my memory playing tricks on me, uh, but I just picked it up recently for, like, I want to say, like, 99 cents, or something like that, like, it was, like, a dollar, I mean, totally under five bucks, for sure, and didn't know much about it, but I liked the look of it, like, it looked very minimal, um, it basically this is a first person parkour game. Oh my god. Where, Hold on. Yeah. What? How how are you playing this out of the two of us? What's going on here? <laughs> I know, right? First person and parkour. You would think this would totally be a Cory ass game, but I I am the one bringing this. You'll uh, maybe you should look into it. I don't know, but um see what I see what I say about this and see if it it strikes you. Um but this is a first person parkour game. It's set in a very abstract world made up of like concrete blocks and pillars and slabs and it's set in like this like endless fantasy world where there's just like water like just water forever and just you're standing on a little island of concrete blocks so it's not meant to be a, a real representation it's not meant to have a story it's, it's just the experience of moving in the environment with the parkour movement and just doing the task of raising more of the city from underwater to make the city that you're in bigger so you start off in a very small concrete patch just a couple of concrete blocks you push a button, and then another patch of concrete blocks rises from beneath the surface of the water. You jump on that, and as it goes, it's asking you to do, like, more and more and more complicated maneuvers. So, like, the first maneuver is, like, walk forward, push a button, no big deal. The second one is, like, walk forward and jump, push a button, no big deal. And then it goes on. Like, at first, it seems like it's going to be kind of boring and slow, but, you know, before too long, uh, the developer, Grease Offer, really, really masterfully adds in mechanics. Like, every time you bring up a new chunk of the city, it makes the city that you have larger, and you can go back. It just becomes one big open-world area as you as you grow it. Uh, but you can use the techniques uh, that you have to just explore more and more, and the more you explore, the more city you raise from underneath the water. There are also um, little collectibles to pick up. Uh, they don't really do anything, but if you pick them up, they give you, like, one or two sentences of text. So it's kind of like the developer, like kind of giving you a message, talking you through it a little bit. And that's really like all there is to it. Like you just do some parkour, like interestingly, they don't give you any tips. It's like, you just start and it's up to you to figure it out. So I guess you have to make a couple of intuitive leaps about, you know, Oh, can I, can I wall run? Oh yes, I can. Can I do like a, a wall to wall jump? Yes, I can. Can I do, can I hang on to a ledge? Sure. You know, so you're kind of testing it out as you go. Um, so that's that's really all there is to it. You just keep doing parkour until the whole city is raised from beneath the surface of the water. You get a little brief message at the end, and then it, that, that's it. It's over. Um, the whole game is probably about 45 minutes long. Uh, and I, I see that there are achievements for it. You can speedrun it, it says, like, I think in five minutes. So if you know exactly what to do, you can just blaze through it. But I will tell you why I, will tell you why I brought this game to the show. So we don't talk about politics often on the show. I'm not going to talk about it now. Uh, other than to say that the world is a dumpster fire on many <laughs> levels right now. Flaming dumpster fire. There's all sorts of awfulness going on. Um, and that day that I started playing Refunct, I was feeling really stressed. I was feeling like a really broken person. I was like reading Twitter and reading the news and seeing what had been happening in the real world. And it was like a lot, man. Like I was just, I was kind of cracking under the pressure a little bit because it's really frustrating to know that there's all this awful stuff going on in the world at the same time. I don't know how much difference I can make as one person. You know, there's only so much one person can do without putting themselves in danger or without, you know, breaking the law or whatever. 
And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure that I'm not the only one feeling this where there's a lot of things that I wish I could change or wish I could do and I couldn't do anything. And I was just feeling really, I was just having a real bad day, man. Like I was just not able to process like life. I was not able to process the stress. I was not able to process the news. I just had kind of like maxed out on it. Right. And I just couldn't, couldn't do anything. Just really just was not, not on top of my game. So I just, I, I went to the PS4 and I'm thinking I got to play something to get my mind off it just to take some, some pressure off. And I saw this in my, in my, you know, PS4 library. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot I bought this a while ago. So I started up and it was absolutely the game that I needed at the exact moment that I needed it. It was small. It's peaceful because if you fall off of a ledge, nothing happens. There's no damage. There's no health bars, there's no points, there's no time, there's no enemies, there's no combat, there's no score. It's just you being in the environment. That's all, like nothing bad can happen to you. The developer is not trying to punish you in any way. Um, and you're just there. Like they're just, they're just giving you these little messages if you find the pickups and growing the city. It's like totally tranquil, totally peaceful. Um, the music is real relaxing. The graphics are real soothing. And no matter how many times you fall, like it's not a big deal. You can just go back and try again. And completing the game is very easy. Like, I, I mean, and I don't say that as a negative. I mean, I think it's totally fine that it's easy because I think that really contributes to its very zen-like relaxing quality. If you want to complete it 100% by getting all the pickups, you can get like 99% of them, no problem. And then there's like one or two that are like a little bit tricky, but not super tricky. If you think about it for five minutes, you'll figure it out. Um, so like overall, it's a very easy game, but I, I say that as a good thing. I really don't, that is not a criticism at all because I just played this game and I just felt so like almost healed in a way. Like it just really got me in the zone I needed to be. It was zero stress. It was welcoming me in. It definitely wanted me to play. And when you get to the end of it, it finishes on a good note and it just left me feeling a lot better after I played it than I was feeling when I started it. And that's not something that every game can do. So I felt like it was worth it to mention on the show just for that reason alone. But other than that, I mean, I think it's just, it's great to have a small indie experience that you can finish in one sitting. And that just really doesn't want to fuck with you. Like it doesn't want to punish you. And I think, <laughs> I think those games are too few and far between these days, man. I think ever since dark souls developers have gotten punish happy and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of over it, you know? So I had a really, really, really good experience with this game. I finished the whole thing in like 40 minutes and I just got done with it. I'm like, oh my God, like, thank you. I tweeted out to the developer. Thank you for making this. I had the best time. This is exactly what I needed. This was like the band-aid to my soul that I needed. And I just was really glad that I played it. So I had a great time with Refunct. Loved it. Would totally recommend it to anybody who was feeling like I was or who wants that kind of experience. And it's, it's like, you know, a buck, two bucks, three bucks or something. It's totally worth it. So... Thoughts, ideas, hopes, dreams, Corey? Um, this story, in, in usual Brad Galley fashion, this story took a lot of twists and turns that I was not expecting um, whenever you started talking about it. Because when you set a parkour game, I mean, obviously the first thing I thought was, why were you the one playing this? How rude of you. I should be the one playing this. <laughs> and second of all, like whenever you started talking about how it's kind of like an arcade-like experience where it's just sort of like you and you know doing the jumps and doing the runs and the wall runs and getting around the environment, obviously the first thing I thought was like, oh, this must be, like, really fucking hard. Like, it's probably one of those games where it's, like, a really hard time trial, and it's, like, you're busting your ass, and you're losing, and you're falling, and the game is, like, fuck you, do better. And then all of a sudden, you're, like, oh, never mind. Actually, the game is really easy, and it's just really fun to play, and it's really, like, I don't know, a relaxing experience, because I wouldn't have expected that from this. 
Um, also, uh, you know, it sounds, I wasn't expecting you to talk about, um, I guess you didn't really talk about politics, but about just like needing to take a break. And like of all the, th of all the games I can think about where, oh, I need to take a break from sort of like the world and play something that's like, I don't know, kind of a healing experience. I was not expecting like a quick moving parkour obstacle platforming game to be that thing. Um, but everything, <laughs> the, the good news is that everything you said about this sort of like made me way more interested in it. Like the more you talked, I was ready as always, whenever you talk about games on the show for you to like give like this grandiose lead up to the game and then finish up by being like, yeah, it was garbage and I hated it. Um, <laughs> I do do that. I admit that is my jam. <laughs> that is 100% your jam. Um, but this game sounds really incredible. I'm looking at it on steam right now. Um, it's $2 and 99 cents on steam. Um, it looks like it just came to consoles in June of this year, but this, came, okay. Okay. But it came out in 2015 on steam. So this is kind of an old game at this point. Um, so it's a little bit older, but I, I mean, you and I are both guilty of char as charge of this, where we will find a game on consoles that launches years after it comes out on Steam, and then we bring it to the show. But I am super interested in this. I'm definitely going to look this up as soon as we finish recording. And if I don't, I don't really feel like I would be good at this on PC because this doesn't seem like a good mouse and keyboard experience for me, but apparently it's on Switch, Xbox, and PS4. Do you think this game would be a good fit for the Switch? Oh, yeah, it would totally, totally run on the Switch, no problem. I haven't tested it myself. I played it on PS4, but it's so simple. It's so small. Um, I, I have to only imagine that it would run perfectly on the Switch. I would have no problem buying it there. Excellent. I will have to look this up later. Also, just so everybody knows, on Steam, the I love how they do the, how they do the review breakdowns. Um, it has 13,106 reviews, and oh, they shit. are overwhelmingly positive so that's good news for this game so good job uh dominic greasehofer uh good job dude this sounds amazing um my only question about this is whenever you're physically moving around the environment because my mind obviously immediately goes to mirror's edge whenever i'm thinking about a parkour game um and mirror's edge something that i love about both of those games is that the traversal really requires you to be tactical with your uh, movement like you have the jump button you have the duck button that doubles as a slide button you have a sort of like a button that makes you lift your legs in the air to get over like high barriers you have a button the duck button also triples as the like roll out button if you're falling from a high environment you need to hit it as soon as you hit the ground so you can roll out and don't get hurt um my first question is is are the controls in this game as complicated, and I say complicated with love because I love the way Mirror's Edge controls, are they as complicated as they are in Mirror's Edge? And also, just I want you to elaborate on the controls a little bit. Are you just like pressing one button to jump around everything, or is there like a button for jump, a button for wall run, a button to grab stuff? Because if the controls are too simple, I feel like this game might be a little boring for me i don't want to sound rude but like i would want a little bit more like tactical edge to it um so how how is all that working in this game um well if you're looking for a very technical parkour experience i think you'll be disappointed because i don't think that's what they're going for um it's more just about exploration and there are some aspects of the game where you do need to be a little bit tactical as in if I bounce from this corner to this corner, is that going to work? And if so, is that going to get me where I need to go? Or is it possible for me to like wall jump between these two walls? So there's a few moments of that where you need to kind of like, you know, think about it a little bit and test it out to see if it's possible. But in general, you just have one button which jumps. And if you hold it down, then you will um, grapple and mantle up to an edge or, you know, a, you know, edge of a block or something. 
The other button is duck, but you, you don't really use it that often. You can use it to dive underneath the water that the city is floating on. Uh, you can use it to duck to get into small spaces, but that only comes up once or twice. It's very straightforward. It's very simple. And I mean, that's kind of the beauty of it, though. I don't know that I would really want it to be more more technical than it is. And like I said, I mean, overall, I mean, you can speed run this in five minutes and it took me about half an hour, 40 minutes. So it was just more about being Zen and getting in the zone than it really was about like actually flexing my parkour mental strategies. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you may find it to be too simple. That's very possible. Um, but for me, I'm glad it was that easy because how I was feeling mentally that day and what I was after, I really wasn't after something that was challenging. I didn't really want to be tested on anything. I just wanted to engage in an experience that would keep my focus, pull my focus away from the real world for five minutes because that's what I needed. And just to just to engage with me on that level and not not push me, not punish me, not make me work too hard. And I don't say that negatively. Like that was 100% what I needed at that moment. So and not as not as technical, not as in-depth as something like Mirror's Edge, but I don't hold that against it. I, I really don't think that's what it's trying to be. I think it's just about getting a player to go through some motions and then kind of deliver a message at the end. Okay, well, either way, this sounds rad as hell, and I'm going to look it up later, and uh, maybe I'll try to play it before next week, and we can reconvene, and I can give some impressions on it on our next show. That would be great. I love this game. It just really kind of caught me out of nowhere, and it was the right game at the right time. So, you know... It's not the biggest AAA thing. It's not going to keep you busy for a weekend or whatever, but I love it. I'm so glad I played it. So thank you to Dominique Grieshofer for making this uh, game. I could not have enjoyed it more. Um, let's move on. Corey, over to you, sir. We're going to be talking about Prey Transstar VR. Um, now, I had a very hard time finding any information <laughs> about this game online. I went to the, the Prey Wiki. I went just regular Google search. I went to Steam. I found basically no information so i'm assuming it's made by arcane studios but that's all i can guess about it i mean what's the deal with this game what's it about where did it come from how come it doesn't seem to exist anywhere other than on your portion of the script um yeah so <coughs> excuse me while i cough for a second um so pray i mean uh Fuck you all, because I'm finding another way to bring Prey back to the show, motherfuckers. Um, I played, as I said last week, Prey some more. I've been playing it, like, a lot lately, even though I've already beaten it, like, three times. I bought it on PC. Um, so Prey originally launched, and then about a year or so later, they launched uh, Prey Moon Crash, which I've also talked about on the show. That was the roguelite sort of, um, I don't know, game add-on DLC that came after Prey. They also released a digital deluxe edition of Prey that basically packaged all of that together. And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, so they launched, what it looks like happened here is that Prey Moon Crash launched in June of 2018. And then I don't remember if this was announced at like, some kind of like at like a PAX or at an E3 or something like that. But the guys at Arcane decided, and I'm very happy about this, that they were just not done with making Prey stuff yet. They put out Prey, they put out Moon Crash, which was a very unexpected add-on because it wasn't just straight-up story DLC, which is what I was expecting. And then in December of the same year, so June, they put out Moon Crash, and then in December, they put out, I believe this is a PC-exclusive bundle called Prey Typhon Hunter, and it, it has two, and I hope I'm getting all this right, because like you, it, the information out there is pretty um, non-existent for this. Um, there's Prey 
Typhon Hunter and Prey Transstar VR that are kind of bundled together under Prey Typhon Hunter. And if I'm not mistaken, Prey Typhon Hunter is a PC exclusive like multiplayer experience where you are, I think it's like a Left 4 Dead type thing where you play as like a human character and then other online characters play as like mimics in the environment and they can like mimic things and try to like kill you. And it's kind of like a one versus uh, a several people type thing. I have not played Prey Typhon Hunter. I'm not a multiplayer kind of guy. Maybe I'll play it down the road and bring Prey to the show for the 652nd time instead of the 651st time. But Prey Transstar VR was bundled with it, and it is a PC exclusive, I'm pretty sure, VR experience for Prey. And basically puts you into, and I played it on HTC Vive, much like I did with, uh, with Shattered Lights, it's a little, this cute little VR experience where it takes you to, there's four parts to it. There are three sort of like, I want to say escape room style games, but they're a little bit bigger than that. They take you to three areas of the Transtar Station, which if you've played Prey, you'll be familiar with all of them. Um, one of them is Morgan Yu's apartment that he or she wakes up in at the beginning of the game. One of them is a Morgan Yu's office which you will visit probably several times over the course of the game if you've played it and then the other one is the tulip bar which is in the crew quarters uh, close to the arboretum which there is like a story beat that happens there too it's just like a cool bar that's in the the crew quarter area and you it is a first person game where it's set as a prequel to everything that happens on prey but it's not like super story heavy it, this the game is not here to like move you emotionally it's just like a very cute kind of like trifecta of little uh, like little games where like in the first one you play as Dr. Calvino who's in the game and he's in Morgan Yu's uh, bedroom at the beginning of the game there's this cool like I don't really want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't played it but there's like kind of this big illusion that happens at the beginning of the game and in this VR game you play him setting up all of that stuff sort of like staging everything for the experiment run and it basically just involves you kind of like teleporting around this environment and picking up things and you have to like do a little searching to get some codes ready and, um, and just, like, stuff like that, which sounds really boring. And honestly, like, this game is not going to, like, move mountains or anything. But this, I feel like Transstar VR was made specifically for me. Like, I feel like the people at Arcane were like, wow, this guy really likes this game. Let's just make a little VR game and just package it, put a little bow on it, and make it specifically for Corey. Because I'm looking for any game that will get me back into Prey, basically. And, uh, and so it's just, like, being able to do these little like kind of sort of escape room style experiences in the areas that you know from the game but obviously instead of running around them in third person or in, not in third person but on a computer screen um like in first person you're actually in them in vr so you're like walking around them you're teleporting around them you're like picking up stuff it's just cool to see the visual design of prey on a scale of vr because the visual design in prey is really incredible the transstar station looks amazing it's got this cool kind of like 50s like i don't know like art deco meets futuristic like mid-century modern thing going on it's very well designed so being able to be in it for these little experiences um just feels really cool and being able to like look around and explore the environments in a way that you that feels different from playing it in the regular first person game and so all three of those it probably takes like maybe about 20 minutes to beat each one they're really bite-sized experiences they're really cute um very 
kind of puzzle heavy where you have to look around the environment and really try to figure out like what the thing you're supposed to do is and then, you know, go pick up this or go do that. And it features a lot of the trappings that Prey normally has, like you mess with neuromods in part of it, you fabricate things for part of it, um, you are exposed to Typhon creatures for a little bit for part of it, but there's no like combat in it. So you're not running around the environment, you're not swinging your arms around, you know, hitting stuff with wrenches. It's all just very like short and puzzle based. So that's, if you're scared about VR combat, there's none of that in here. It's all just very casual, which I enjoy. And then the fourth part, which is just a, an adorable little add-on to the very end, is that they have like one of the sort of like museum rooms where you can walk around like a Transtar museum and it takes you through sort of like the history of Transtar, this sort of like elaborate setup because it kind of features like an alternate US timeline. And it shows you like all of the creatures in the game and you can like walk up to the glass cases and like look in VR, like in real life, like look at the, the creatures. And there's a creature in the game called a nightmare that's probably like three stories high. And like seeing that in VR is really scary because it's like really tall. And even though it's in this sort of like museum environment where basically you're kind of just there to look at the character models, I was still really scared that it was going to like hit me or like jump up and down or like make a loud noise and really scare me and luckily it didn't but just like having it in the corner of your eye there like knowing that that's like the most lethal thing in the game and it's just like standing there was very creepy but i mean I, i'm describing this and again brad you're probably like rolling your eyes and being like this sounds really stupid i don't know why you're going on and on about this but this is a really special experience for me because i love prey so much and having this like cute little VR experience bundled into the deluxe edition on PC, I think is wonderful. I know the sliver of all the people who pray who play Prey, this like VR experience is probably I bet like 0.5% of people who have played Prey, like this is like their target audience. And I just happen to fall into that tiny sliver of people who have Prey, have a VR system, who love this game enough to buy the deluxe edition and then play the VR bits on it. Um, probably a very small slice, but I'm very thankful for it. I'm also thankful that Arcane did not give up on this game because it didn't sell well. And so it would have been so easy for them and Bethesda to just be like, all right, bye. Like this game didn't sell well at all. See you later. But instead they brought Mooncrash, which was a whole different experience. And then even later down the road, they brought the Typhon Hunter multiplayer experience and this VR thing. So they really like took the game and went in a bunch of different directions with it. And I'm shocked that Bethesda gave them the support they did in order to be able to do all of this because it would have been so easy for them to just be like, okay, you're not doing anything else. Like, please make the next game because this game didn't sell well. But the fact that they really stood behind it really impresses me because the they had a great product here. And I'm really sad that more people didn't play Prey because it's wonderful. And just knowing they support it makes me happy. And knowing that I fall into this like tiny sliver of people who play this and who love it um, also makes me happy. So uh, Brad, I don't expect that you're like drooling over this or anything, but what do you think about all the ridiculous stuff I just said? Um, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying and I can appreciate the sentiment that you're sharing because as someone who loves games, you know, not, I don't love every game, but when I find a game that I love a lot, I do want to kind of like absorb all of the available materials. I want, I want to see the art book. I want to see like all the, the cut scenes. I want to see the, the DLC. Um, so, I mean, I didn't click with prey at all i didn't really care for it i think uh this kind of sim game is way more your jam than mine but to hear your description of like basically this kind of sounds like 
I don't know, just like a bunch of bonus modes that people who love Prey would really love. And that's really, you know, like you're saying, it's like that 0.5% or whatever. If I was in that 0.5%, I mean, I would be like in hog heaven because you'd be like, oh, this is more of the thing I love. And it's more of a deep dive into the thing that I really like. And I can see other sides of it. And I mean, I totally appreciate all that. I mean, it sounds like you are really lucky that they did decide to make more of this stuff. Um, it just kind of reminds me of like, like when I go hog wild over some, you know, whatever game, like when I... When I, you know, lost myself in, like, Darkest Dungeon for, like, 200 hours, and I bought, like, the art book, and I bought, like, the diorama, <laughs> and I bought a hat, and I bought a shirt, and I made my own. I actually, I don't know if I ever talked about this, but I actually taught myself Photoshop so that I could make my own mug because I wanted to make a mug, and none of the mugs that were available for sale were cool. And I'm like, well, fuck that. I want, I, I know the mug that I want, and I have some artistic skill, but I've never used Photoshop, so I got, like, a free Photoshop-like program. And I spent, like, four hours figuring out, like, how to do the layers and, like, how to move pieces around and stuff. And I finally did make the mug. So that was, like, you know, that was my little brief psychosis with uh, Darkest Dungeon. It sounds a lot like kind of what you're doing here. Like, you're just you're just reveling in, like, the little bits and bobs. And I think that's really cool as a fan. I mean, I, I don't care one way or the other about Prey, but I, I do appreciate that you are appreciating it. Yeah, and I don't... So when you were talking about that, I, I'm going to put this... I don't. I know I don't need to put this into perspective for you, but, like, let's, let's, like, imagine that we're living in this alternate timeline where, say, you played the first Mass Effect game, and I know... I'm only saying this because I know it's one of your favorite games of all time. Oh, yeah. You oh, played yeah. Mass Effect. It sold horribly. Nobody else played it, but you love it so much. And then suddenly you get this, like... VR game that lets you like walk around the Normandy and walk around like yeah I that would know, be dope as hell like, dude like absolutely yeah, yeah like that's basically like what this is for me like this beautiful game that I love that I feel like not enough people played and I'm just shocked that I mean ab above anything I'm shocked that Bethesda and Arcane signed off to do this kind of stuff because I cannot imagine very many people have played Prey Typhon Hunter or the Transstar VR thing because the audience has got to be so slim for it um so I'm just so impressed that they even like went forward and did it. And I mean, like I said, it only I've only played Transstar VR. I think I completed all four portions in like an hour and a half or something like that. Like maybe about an hour or so. So, you know, it's not like they made this 40-hour epic, you know, translated entire prey into VR like they did for like Fallout 4 or something. But just the fact that we got it at all, I'm just so thankful and really impressed that they really put the time and energy into it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, uh, I'm really glad that you got a chance to enjoy this. I got, I'm glad they got a chance to make it. I'm really happy that, uh, you know, you, you realized this product was a thing and that you were able to enjoy it. And I'm sure that if there's anybody um, from Arcane Studios listening to this, uh, first of all, hello. Also, second <laughs> of all, know that your work did not go unappreciated. I mean, I don't know anybody who's a bigger Prey fan than you, so I'm glad that you finally got to uh, check this out. Any final thoughts or should we move ahead? Uh, I don't think so. We can move on. All right. Excellent. Um, I have a couple quick ones here. Uh, first of all, I'm going to be talking about Solo, Islands of the Heart. This is put out from Team Gotham, uh, originally released in 2018. Uh, they are a team from Madrid, Spain, and they've only made one other game. So this is like their second game. Uh, I heard about it last year when Dan Weissenberger reviewed it at Game Critics. And I remember him being fairly positive on it. Not super hot, but, you know, positive. But I was very curious about this one because it is a very cute looking, uh, you know, like the art style is very like warm and welcoming. The, the characters are all kind of like short and chubby and the world is colorful <laughs> and it just looks very pleasant. Um, but the, the hook of this game is that it's kind of about relationships. Um, I was very impressed 
at the start because you can not only choose your gender and it was male, female, or non-binary, which I was already impressed with, you can also choose who you want to fall in love with and you can also choose male, female, non-binary, or anybody, which I believe the game just randomly picks one for you. Um, and as you play the game, after you start the game and start playing the game, you can change your gender at any time in case you feel like maybe you've made a wrong choice or maybe you want to, you know, for whatever reason you want to change. Just like so, you can in real life, by the way. Just like real life. Just like real life. So I was very impressed by that start. So basically it's a third person, kind of not really a top down, but you can move the camera around. But, it, you know, it's it's easiest in general if you have the camera above your character and you're looking down. They start off on an island and then they have this like phantom partner that they interact with every once in a while and this this partner will show up and say something and then you're let loose on this island and what you got to do is on every island there's a lighthouse and a totem so you have to make your way first to the lighthouse activate the lighthouse the lighthouse will shoot a laser that goes to the totem that activates the totem and when you get there it asks you a relationship question so like one question will be like um you know are you only capable of loving one person or do you think it's possible that people can love many people and then you have an answer you pick an answer after you pick your answer then your like phantom partner will pop up a little bit later on and like have a response that kind of challenges what you said in your answer and so that's basically the flow of the game you get you get to a little island there's a puzzle you activate the lighthouse activate the totem answer your question and then see how that plays out with like your quote-unquote phantom partner later on um, pretty cool idea. I was really interested in this. I really would like games to explore relationships, emotion, um, any of that stuff. I feel like we we really base so much of our human existence on those things, and yet they do not translate to games very easily. And I don't feel like games have really done a great job of exploring those in any depth. I mean, there's been a few standouts here and there, but in general, I think that kind of relationship um, has not really been translated into a lot of gameplay. So I was very excited to check it out for that reason. Unfortunately, this game did not end up clicking with me, and I bailed about oh, two-thirds no. of the way through. Yeah, I know. It started out really good. But what happened was, so the gameplay of this game when you're on these islands, it's about boxes, which is really strange. So, like, I wasn't <laughs> sure if the game was going to just, you know, maybe the first island's about boxes, and then the second one would be about something else and then third island will be something like no but like it ends up being boxes the whole way through and so what ends up happening is it's always difficult to get to the lighthouse and it's always difficult to get to the totem and you need to get there so what you got to do is you have this little magic staff where you can pick up and rotate boxes and it's kind of as exciting as that sounds um at first they're just regular boxes stack them up use them as stairs get to the thing no big deal it's quick and easy it's fine later on they have like boxes where like wind is gusting out of them in a certain direction so you can flip the box around and make the wind point in a certain way and then you have to kind of like cleverly stack them in a way to you know let you get where you're going there are these other boxes where like if you once you put the box down a little bridge pops out of it and so you need to point the bridge in the right way but then you also have to stack it the right way and point it the right way and I gotta be honest, I just got sick of fucking fiddling with boxes after a while. I was like, <laughs> it's such a cool premise, and I think the exploration of relationships is so interesting, and there's so much material to mine there. And to be honest, like, when, when you pick an answer, it seems like, you know, you've got your answer in mind, and that's fine, but then when your phantom partner pops up later, they always ask you something that really pushes you on it. So, like, for example, uh, when they talked about whether you think a person can love one person 
or they can love many. I think my answer was something like, you know, I can only love one person, but I believe that other people can love other people. You know, I was, I wanted to like respect other people, right? Like that's not my choice in real life, but like if other people want to make that choice, that's totally fine. So then when my phantom partner pops up later on, she's like, oh, well, is it okay with you if I love someone else? And I'm like, oh, well, that's not what I had in mind at all. So (laughs) I guess maybe we need to talk about this. (laughs) So it was, I mean, it really, it got kind of a response out of me. And like, and I think that was really successful. And I I liked that part of it very much um, because it made me think about what I had answered and it made me test whether what I said was really what I meant. Really thoughtful, really interesting, really curious. But those fucking boxes, I was so sick of stacking boxes, dude. It was like, you know, sometimes I would just be a little bit short and it would be a very, very specific solution. Like, it's not just like stack them however you want and then it's all physics based and you just make it. It's like the developers clearly had a very specific solution for each puzzle in mind. And if you don't get the mindset that they want you to be in, some of those can be fucking irritating, dude. And I was really pissed on a couple of these where it was like, I had the right idea, but I just wasn't thinking the way that they wanted me to think. I just wasn't clicking into that train of thought. And so some of the puzzles ended up being really frustrating. I had to look up a guide a couple of times. Um, and I just was like, man, I, I like half of this game a lot. And the other half is just really pissing me off. And I got about two thirds of the way through I just didn't want to stack any more boxes. I got to a part where there's boxes where the box sticks to a wall. And then I had the bridge boxes. Then I had the wind boxes. And then I had the regular boxes. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking stack any more boxes. I just want to ask me the questions. I'll answer them. I'll feel weird about what I said. And then we'll just go from there. And like, it's just, I didn't, I didn't want to do the boxes anymore. So I just, I couldn't take it. I felt like just, it was irritating. So I bailed on that. So that was, that was my experience. Two thirds of the way through solo islands of the heart. Half of it was cool, half of it fucking ugh, awful. But um, I have one more game to talk about. But any thoughts on that before I move on, Corey? Um, <clears throat> just that I, in true Brad fashion, you set up that game sounding like it was going to be the most amazing thing you played all year. And then you were like, never mind, it's stupid. I mean, not that you said it was stupid. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I also feel like you and I would have the exact same experience playing this game because all the relationship stuff sounds really interesting. The questions sound interesting, like the choice in genders and non-binary sounds like really wonderful and open-minded, but if the core gameplay is like puzzle-based stuff about you like moving boxes and stacking boxes and having these different kind of boxes, I would have been in the exact same shoes you would have been in and I would have fallen off real quickly on this. So it's a bummer that like we can't just have the relationship thing, you know, and this happens in so many games where, like, it'll be a game about one thing, and then they'll, like, maybe pull some, like, interesting relationship stuff into it, and, like, I'm partially thinking a little bit about maybe, like, Mass Effect or something here, where, like, it's definitely a game about, like, shooting aliens and jumping around and using your superpowers and, you know, doing that stuff, but it, like, pulls relationships into it, and it's just, like, why do we always need the other thing? Like, can't we just have a game about the relationships, or will people get too bored if it's just about the relationships like there does there always have to be another thing yeah i mean i i mean i don't know i can't answer that question i mean i want to say that if the questions were interesting enough that would be enough on its own but maybe it wouldn't be i don't know but what i can say for sure is that i could have taken one island of boxes that would have been fine but i would have wanted them to do something completely different for the other the other islands. I wish that they would have taken the theme of the questions they were asking and extrapolated that into different kinds of puzzles because 
to be perfectly fucking honest with you, I didn't see how puzzle boxes related to relationship questions. It seems Uh like it felt like they had a good idea with the relationship part. And then they're like, well, what do we, what is the game? Well, I don't know. Well, let's make it a puzzle game. What are the, what are the puzzle uh, boxes? Uh, Like, (laughs) like, come on, man. Like, I feel like they, they could have reached a little further and made them a little bit, a little bit more varied because it just became too one note and too repetitive. A shame because I really liked, it started off so well and I liked the idea, but this, the puzzle gameplay side needed a lot of help. So Anyway, that was Solo Islands of the Heart, recently released on uh, PS4 and Switch and Xbox One. It's also on PC. Uh, The other game I want to talk about is called Gravity Ghost. Uh, Full disclosure, I hate that title. I think it's a really dumb title. I don't like that title at all, but that's what it's called. I am intrigued, by the way. Just the title is intriguing, Gravity Ghost. Like, this game could be about anything. What is it about? You, you do not know what this game is about. You have no idea what this game is about. I will tell you. Uh, it's put out from Ivy Games. Uh, I believe this is their first and only game. Uh, if my research is correct, and I may not be correct, originally released on PC in 2015, which seems really long ago. Hold on. I can um, confirm this. Keep talking. Can, yeah, go ahead and go ahead and check it out. Um, it's a small team. The lead developer is a teacher at a university, but also one of the... Um, higher up developers at Guerrilla Games, who's oh. responsible for like Killzone and all those games. Uh, the, what's the other? What's that one with uh, Horizon Zero Dawn? Horizon, yes, you knew yeah, exactly what I was going to talk I about. Knew Horizon. Exactly. Yeah, this came out on January twenty sixth, twenty fifteen, on PC. That is mind blowing to me. That is mind blowing to me. But okay, so whatever. So it just <laughs> literally like this week came to PS four, Xbox One. I don't know about Switch. I don't think so. Uh, Switch is probably coming. Who knows. So this is this is uh, someone from Guerrilla Games broke off and did a side project and uh, spoilers it's wonderful it Aww. is wonderful it's really good I love it so much more than Killzone so much more <laughs> than Horizon Zero Dawn um, so whoever you were I, I, it's it's a lady's name I forget her name I apologize uh, but man you you knocked it out of the park with this one I had a great time so the premise is that you are a girl who awakes to find herself. Something of a spirit, a ghost, if you will, uh, inside like space, some kind of weird interdimensional space. And she is floating. She has like floating powers and she's like subject to the whims of like the gravity of the planets and stuff around her. Uh, So the the overall game is that it's like a 2D. uh, It's not a pixel based game. It's like a weird kind of like a flash looking game. I don't know the proper term for like what kind of animation this is. It looks like a paper cutout sort of a thing where the, the characters kind of move at the joints where, like, a paper doll would move, and it looks kind of, like, flat. But it's really cute looking. I really like the look of it. You start off with, like, a map of, like, different levels, and so you just pick whatever level you want to go to, and you start that. And at each level is a one-screen, discrete little challenge. So, like, the first one will be, like, you're on, an, you're on a planet that's, like, I don't know, the size of a half dollar. Your character is, like, standing on this planet. And you can, like walk around the planet like you know like the little prince or something like that where you just like you're on the planet or like mario galaxy you know how mario like runs around the planets just like the whole surface of them you know Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like that and then there in every in every level there's a star you have to collect and then there's a door so you really it's like mario galaxy i mean it kind of is it is in a way it's like 2d (laughs) mario galaxy basically um in fact i didn't even put that together until you said it but now that you said it, it that that there's a lot in common there there's a lot in common so you play with the physics of this a lot. So every level has um, a star and a door, but the door is sometimes on a planet that's rotating at a certain speed. 
the star is in a certain place that's rotating at a different speed, and you have to, like, launch yourself into space and, like, work with the gravity of the planets to kind of, like, slingshot yourself around. Um, and at, at the beginning of the game, you're just at the whim of the planets, and you're just hoping that you make a good jump, and you're kind of struggling with it a little bit. But as the game goes on, you unlock further powers. Like, you'll have a power that will instantly shoot you towards the surface of a planet. Like, you kind of, like, increase your gravity. So you get real heavy, and you shoot towards a planet. There's one where you can kind of glide in the same direction that you're pointed at. There's one where you can uh, draw things closer to you. Like, if you're trying to collect these little items, you can, like, collect them to you. You don't have to touch them, but just get kind of in the ballpark, and they, they suck onto you, which is great, because sometimes it's hard to be very specific in a game like this. So they're all bite-sized levels. I mean, the average level takes, like, 20 seconds to beat, 30 seconds mm. to beat. Like, you're just, you're just going, you know, bam, 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 going through them real quickly but that's fine like i think each one brings a little something different sometimes it's a lot of planets sometimes it's a few planets sometimes it's one planet sometimes it's a big planet sometimes it's a small planet like there, <laughs> there's all sorts of there's all sorts of variety and that really keeps the gameplay humming in addition to the powers that you collect um, along the way you will find little ghosts of dead animals and then you find that ghost you bring it with you and then you have to find the skeleton of that animal you match them up you bring the animal back to life and then it tells you a story and the story is your story when you were still alive. So oh. it, it seems like it's just going to be like an arcane gameplay thing, but at the same time, it tells actually a really touching story. I was really, really happy with how the story came together. I'm not going to spoil any of it, uh, but it tells you the events that led up to your death, like what made you become a gravity ghost, what the world is like back where you came from, what you need to do to find peace and move on a little bit. But it all unfolds like so lovely in these little vignettes there's little twists and turns and i i give it huge huge props for not pulling away from the darkness there's a few moments that i found to be actually quite dark and i was wondering if they were gonna go there and they did and i was like really happy to see that because it just gave this this air of authenticity and it really gave some gravitas to the whole thing really like the story a lot uh really like the way it ended a lot very very much like the ending um, and the whole thing is probably like three hours long, as long as you don't get too stuck on any of the levels. And to be honest, most of the levels are quite easy. Um, there's a couple that had me trying it a few times, but in general, you just blow through them pretty quick. And that's not a problem. It's just really entertaining to kind of like play with the physics and fly around and use the different powers. Um, I will say there are some challenge levels after you finish the game, and those can fuck right off because those... <laughs> are hard as hell i was like oh my god i thought it was gonna blow through those two yeah no they were like yeah you had a good time in the main game and now you're gonna hate this game and i i was like okay i did a couple levels got super frustrated turned it off but that does not take away from the main game which i think is great great pace the ending is great the story is great the art is great i had a great the music is really good too i mean i think this is a wonderful game um, I still don't like the title. I think Gravity Ghost sounds like something that Scooby-Doo would try to fight in one of his episodes. Um, but overall, this is a wonderful indie. I just had a marvelous time from start to finish. You and I are on a motherfucking roll with like games that came out like three years ago or four we're digging years them up. ago. We are digging yeah, them up. That have like come around again. And also like we're on, this is like, I know we tend to bring indie games to the show, but we're on like an indie ass indie show today this is like indie showcase 2015 fast forward to 2019 when they get re-released like that's today's show right now this is um 
where I love so video games to be. I feel like this is our fucking jam. I feel like this is where our show is the best. And I love an episode like this where we're throwing a little shade, but like overall, we're just loving on some stuff and hopefully bringing some games to people who may not know about them. That is, that is like the high point of this show for me. So I'm really happy with this, uh, this episode today. I mean, I guess I'm just kind of patting myself on the back and like <laughs> blowing my own horn, which is not what I intend to do. Not trying to be like, yeah, we're so fucking cool. Our show is the best. <laughs> totally don't mean to do that. I apologize if that sounded really egocentric. Not my intention. But um, yeah, this is we got a good selection today. Just kind of by accident. So anyway. Yeah, and it's weird that like you and I, because we rarely like talk about what we're going to talk about beforehand. We just kind of say, hey, here's the games I'm bringing to the show. And somehow you and I both like brought indie games that came out in 2015 that are being like resurrected in 2019 like how did we do this totally not arranged i mean i didn't know what games you had until like 15 minutes before the show and vice versa so i don't know it just happened it just worked that way i guess that's why we make a good team but um you think you're going to give gravity ghost a try does it sound like your jam or not i i think the story sounds interesting but i'm worried that it would be too puzzle-y for me and a little bit too tedious but you did say that most of them are pretty easy, so maybe it would be, like, something I could handle. But I'm worried that an entire game of these sort of, like, you know, gravity platforming puzzles might be a little bit too much for me. I can't say if it would be your jam or not, but I will say that even though it's a short game, I, I think I played it in about three sittings. Because after about an hour, I was like, okay, I'm good on these. Like, I, I didn't, you know, like, it's not something that you can just jam through. I enjoyed them, but I mean, you, you know, you're only doing gravity puzzles and I, I don't want to say that they're puzzles. They're just like challenges, I guess, or just, you know, just manipulation of the character in a level. They're not really puzzles. And most of them, like I said, are like 30 seconds or less. So you're going through them at a pretty quick pace. Uh, but it's still, I did hit a point at which I'm like, okay, I'm, I don't want to do any more gravity puzzles right now. <laughs> and I move on, but I'm glad I played it. I mean, I, I came back to it eagerly and I'm really glad I finished it. So I don't know if it's your thing. But I really liked it a lot, and I got to say, these guys did a great job. I love this more than anything Gorilla has put out, like, ever. So, <laughs> uh, All right, let's move on. I'm very curious to hear about this next game, because this is one that I suggested to you, and you I was did. really afraid I was going to make you waste your five bucks. So I was on edge, wondering if you were going to ask me for a refund or something. Uh, this is Sagebrush, put out by Redact Games uh, in 2018 on PC. Just made it to consoles, like, this week. Uh, this is the first game from Redact, and I believe they are based in Michigan. So, hello. Hello to Michigan. Uh, so, Corey Motley, tell us about Sagebrush. I would love to talk about Sagebrush, and I'm also, I was nervous whenever you recommended this to me, because I don't know why I get nervous, because you know my taste so well, but the thing that made me nervous is... I looked at it, and I did buy it, like, almost immediately, although I went through a comedy of errors trying to decide what console to buy it on, because, of course, I looked at it on PS4, and I was like, hey, I think I've seen this on Switch. And I went to the Switch, and luckily, the Switch tax was only, like, a dollar more than the PS4 version, which is unheard of. Usually, it's, like, six times more than the PS4 version. And then I thought to myself, this looks like it originated on the PC, so let me go open Steam and see what it looks like on Steam. And it was like $2 more on Steam. Usually it's <laughs> the cheapest on Steam, especially because it's been out for a couple of years or for like, a, I guess like At almost least a year, year on Steam. Yeah. Uh, uh. And so I was really surprised. I mean, and I don't want to like, this is going to make me sound like a huge asshole, but it's only $6.99 on Steam. So it's not like it was like $50 on Steam, you know, and then like 30 on PS4. Like it's very cheap no matter which way you slice it. 
Um, but I ended up getting it on PS4 because it looks like the kind of game that I would rather play on a slightly bigger screen. And also it was the cheapest. Right now it's uh, like $4.80 or something like that on PS4. It was $5.99 on Switch and it's $6.99 on PC. So it's cheap uh, like all the way around. I mean, if you're really concerned about that one or two dollars that you're going to spend extra right now ps4 is the place to get it and then switch is the next cheapest but um the other thing that made me nervous about this game is that on your on your recommendation is that um it is published on consoles it's published by the same people that published back in 1995 which was the last game you recommended me to buy and i bought almost immediately and i ended up not liking that one so i was like oh no are we gonna have a publisher situation on our hands where they're gonna be like devolver and like everything they put out is gonna have this one flavor and there's gonna be something about it that rubs me the wrong way but i ended up buying it anyway um because it was cheap and it looked interesting um and so now i will actually talk about it instead of spending another 10 minutes talking about the process of buying the damn game so this game is called Sagebrush. It is developed by Redact Games. As far as I know, it's mainly a one developer game. I think some other people might have worked on it, but uh, Nathan Barons is like the guy, I think, who did most of it. Um, and I'm not sure if that's 100% correct, but it's one of those games where at the very end of the credits is like a game by Nathan Barons. So like you know that he, like I guess, probably had a ton of creative control over it, which is wonderful. Um, it is a first person. This is a, for, this is a Corey ass game. Corey ass. Corey ass game. Like Brad. I knew, I knew it was when I saw it, dude. I knew it was. <laughs> like you could not be closer to like the truth of this game being a Corey ass game because it is a first person walking sim. It's a narrative adventure game. Uh, it takes place on this big, like kind of like church compound area where it's sort of like it's it's uh, takes place in uh, Arizona, I believe. So it's kind of like this remote um, or it's New Mexico. I'm sorry. This like remote New Mexico kind of desert area. It's a church compound where there's about five or six different buildings that are kind of related to this like church farm area. Um, the interesting thing is that it has really retro graphics, and I don't know if really that is that interesting to me, but most walking sims I find have pretty, like, they either have, like, really realistic graphics or they have, like, kind of like Tacoma where it's, like, slightly stylized, like, cartoony visuals. But this one is, like, straight up, like, looks like it came out of a PC in, like, 1990 or something, which I think is really charming. That's not a knock at all. I love the visual design of this game. Um, I just don't think I've ever played a walking sim or a narrative game like this that has this sort of like retro thing going on. So that was like another nice hook. Mm -hmm. But the point of this game is you play as somebody who goes to investigate this church compound area. And whenever you get there, it seems to be deserted. Um, there's nobody in the immediate vicinity. You go back and you find out that the church... Uh, compound area was once used as like a cult and this is very heavily based in sort of like some real life examples like the most obvious example I can't remember the name of the church or the name of the cult but it's the one where like they drank all the Kool-Aid and they all killed themselves at the end of the right right like, right like that's, that's a... oh, yeah I know what, what you're talking about okay yeah yeah um, so that's sort of like what this is all based around <clears throat> like you go in to investigate sort of the aftermath of this like culty church compound thing um, I believe the game is pretty upfront in the description about, like, the fact that basically a bunch of people died there and you're kind of going in to see what happened. And so this is, like, this is, like, the synthesis of everything that I love in video games because it's, like, 
it's first person, there's no combat. I mean, I love combat in games, don't get me wrong, but it's first person, there's no combat. It's very, like, I mean, I say looking through people's shit simulators, like, this is, like, totally, like, 100% that. You're just, like, kind of slowly exploring these compound buildings. There's, like, a couple of really small puzzles, and by puzzles, I mean you, like, read a document that says, hey, there's a key in this building. You go and you get the key, and then you have to, like, start a generator and turn it on so you're not, you know, moving blocks around and wind blocks and bridge blocks, like, in um, the game you had played earlier. So it's like, it's not hard to get around. It's not hard to wrap your head around. And the thing that I also love about this game is that as you might imagine, because it is sort of dealing with like this sort of religious cult thing, it is, I mean, it's not a survival horror game, but it's very creepy. Like the whole time you're exploring it, it it's just one of those games where you know some shit went down and you're there to just kind of like, you know, sweep the dust off the counters and figure out, just dig in a little bit to try to figure out what happened. And it has a lot of trappings of narrative games like this. There's a handful of audio logs. I think there's only like 12, so you're not listening to one every five seconds, so none of them are very long, because I can get, audio logs can get really tedious, as we've talked about on the show before. Um, there's a handful of them throughout the game. There's documents to read, but none of the documents are like long or you know it's not like chapters of information usually it's just like a couple pages of stuff so even those you know aren't super involved and you're just like walking around you're both indoor and outdoor on this compound and something that I thought was really impressive is that whenever you get there it's kind of like late afternoon sunset and as you explore the buildings like the sun isn't constantly going down but there's like certain events that happen where time will pass and it'll be like a little bit deeper into dusk and then eventually it'll turn into nighttime and just like as the sun goes down there's this like just like the feeling of dread is already so present in this game but like as it gets darker and as you get a flashlight and as you're exploring this kind of like creepy farm area it just gets more um more uncomfortable the deeper you get and the game that this most closely reminds me of is uh, that I talked about a while back on the show is the game The Pain Screak Killings, which is very similar in a lot of the same ways. I played it on PC. I probably talked about it like three or four months ago. That one was a first-person uh, investigative game where you, instead of investigating like a church compound, you're basically exploring like an entire sort of like little village with, with a bunch of houses and apartments, and there's like a big mansion in the back. There's like a sewer system. Very similar experience where... Nobody else is there. You go to investigate a murder, um, and you just, like, know a bunch of shit went down, and you're just kind of poking through people's stuff, and there's this sort of, like, air of dread around the entire thing, and that's very much how Sagebrush is. And the entire time, I'm not going to spoil if this happens or not, but it's the kind of game where the entire time I was playing it, I was just thinking to myself, like, like, I know everybody was supposed to have died here, but somebody's going to somebody's gonna show up at some point, <laughs> and they're going to, like, have a fucking axe, or they're going to, like, chase me. And, mm. you know, and just so, to make it clear, this is not, like, an outlast. You're hiding from stuff you're running. Like, the game is deserted, but it has that feeling of just, like, mm, like, you just, it just has so much character that you think somebody could be, like, around the tree watching you or somebody's watching you from a building from far away while you're like creepily exploring this like you know dusk campground by yourself 
and there's like a you know some tiny puzzle elements and then it all comes to a head at a certain point in the game and i'm not i'm not gonna spoil anything and this game only to be uh clear this game only took me about an hour and a half to beat and then when i beat it there was a couple little extra things that i had missed and i went back and played those and the game does a really good job of saving like kind of like before you enter like you know the last sort of area that wraps stuff up um so if you miss those things you can just reload that save and then kind of go explore whatever you might have missed before um how do you know what you missed uh because the game kind of tells you after the credits roll um okay it's like oh there were x amount of audio logs and you only found this many like there's still more stuff to explore like it basically just flat out tells you that um, but does it tell you where they are, or do you just have to, like, blindly search for them? You just have to search for them. Um, okay. And that's probably, and sort of that, in essence, is maybe, and this is not a big complaint, but it's maybe my only, like, small complaint about the game, is that you start out, and it, it kind of guides you in a way where, you know, you only have access to one building when you get there, and then you find a key that unlocks a gate, and it kind of opens up the entire compound to you. And for a while, like, I thought the game was doing a pretty good job of sort of, like, slowly nudging me in the right direction to go because the whole compound is open. And, you know, some of the buildings are locked and, you know, you have to find a key in one building to get to another building. And so it does, like, a pretty good job of sort of guiding you on where to go. But there was one point in the game where I found something or, like, I saw something that I don't think I was supposed to have seen yet. And so whenever I found the item that went to it, I just immediately went there without having to find the thing before it that the game was basically like, hey, go find this thing. Like, I just kind of found it on my own. And so a little bit of that, like, you know, good sort of like slow guiding was was lost on me because I found something I think I wasn't supposed to find early on. And then there was like one building that I didn't explore because I thought it was going to be like the last building of the game. And then I went into another building, and that ended up being the last building of the game. So it, it wasn't, like, hugely disappointing or anything, and I was able to reload the save and kind of, like, go to mm. the, the other building first. <clears throat> but I think that it, like, it, it could have done a slightly better job of sort of, like, guiding me just a little bit because I, you know, flubbed and found the thing I wasn't supposed to find yet. And I, it, I wasn't sure, like, what the last area was going to be, and I just happened to pick the wrong one because I basically had two buildings in front of me, and I was like, okay... I guess I just have to guess which one I think is going to be the last one, and I kind of guessed wrong, but I was able to go back and do it. Um, but yeah, this game is so good. It is everything that I love about these kind of narrative adventure games. Like, I mean, because some narrative adventure games I play don't have like the creepy factor, and that's totally fine. Um, you know, like Dear Esther is a good example of that. Like, there's nothing really scary about that game. That game is more about like sort of like exploring a past relationship and kind of being sad about it and like letting that sadness like turn into I guess like more of like a happiness as the game goes on but like I really like these kind of narrative adventure games where there's just like this weird cloud of dread over the whole thing because it really keeps you on edge it kept me for I was never bored when I was playing this I was really uncomfortable for a lot of it and I mean, we're talking about, like, an hour-and-a-half-long game that has these weird, like, not weird, but these, like, kind of retro graphics. So, you know, it wasn't like there was some realistic, like, zombie chasing me or something. Like, it was just all in my head. And I think it takes a really great design, a really great sort of, like, um, environmental design and placement of things and story pacing to let to have the game be made and to sort of invite you in... And then you get into the game and the game gets into your head and it just like everything that you dread about it is sort of like 
partially populated by what you're thinking and what you're experiencing as it goes on. It's not necessarily like monsters around the corners and stuff. And I was very uncomfortable when I was playing a lot of this game. And it just really speaks to the pacing to it, the design of it, to sort of like the story that the game is telling. And I, oh God, this is such, this is an exceptional example of everything that I love about narrative adventure games. And I am so happy that you recommended it to me because um, I thought I had seen it on the Switch store before and I think I just glanced at it and looked away. Probably would have never come back to it and looked at it again. I'm really glad you saw it and recommended it to me. And if anybody who's listening is into these games, this is like, as far as like a creepy looking through people's shit simulator that's like concise, it doesn't waste your time. It has, this sounds really silly, but it has a run button so you're not stuck walking your slow ass around the entire map. You can like, run and the run is almost comically brisk so that's kind of a good thing if it you don't matters run, it matters man. it does matter because like <clears throat> i love uh dear esther i love that game but the character that walks around is slow as fuck and if there was a run button i would like that game a tiny bit more um and this game has a brisk run so you can just like jog around the <clears throat> compound and even if you're jogging because i was running a lot it doesn't lose its scary edge. Like, you know, there's something to be said for, like, slowly creeping around and having the environment really, like, sort of, like, stun you. And then whenever you're running around, you just feel like a fucking idiot, like, just jogging around this scary space in a game. Um, and I've talked about this on, about games before where, like, the game is supposed to be scary, but I end up just running all the way through it because it's not scary or it's not interesting. Even when running around the compound in this game, I was still frightened uh, whenever I had, I you know, got a key to a door that I suspected was something that was going to be like a revelation or something scary. It definitely had that sort of Silent Hill effect on me where I was really scared to open the door just to see what was on the other side. And because it's, it's the kind of game where like, you don't know what it's capable of. You don't know if it's going to spawn an enemy. You don't know if there's going to be a chase sequence. You don't, you just don't know what it's going to do. And it's long enough um, to where it's interesting, but it's short enough to where it doesn't like, you know, show its hand or reveal everything about it. And it really keeps you on edge. And oh my God, I love, I fucking love this game. It's so wow. good. It is wow. exceptionally wow. well done. And I, oh my God. So thank you so much for recommending it to me because without your recommendation, I probably wouldn't have played it. And it's just, this game is wonderful. I love it so much. I have not heard you rave like that in quite some time. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm so happy. I mean, I'm totally pleased because like you said, I took a look at this, and I'm like, damn, this has got Corey written all over it. There's no way this is not a Corey-ass game. But, you know, some are good, some are bad, and, you know, maybe it would just have the telltale signs but wouldn't actually deliver the goods. But, wow, you really clicked with with this one, which is amazing. So I'm really I'm really glad that you liked it. I'm really glad that you did not waste your five bucks or whatever, whatever the price was. Um, good. Excellent, excellent. I don't want to talk about it too much because I have to say you've done your job as podcast co-host because you're, you're like... You're kind of selling me on it, even though I know I don't Ooh, like games like this, but you're kind go. of selling me on it. <laughs> but I have to ask you a couple of questions. Let's not talk about it too much. I don't want to spoil any more of the story or anything like that. And I'm sure for people who are listening, they have heard enough by now to know whether they're in or out. But for me, I need to know two things. I need to know, number one, and just be brief. Don't spoil anything hardcore, but like I need to know. like Are there, are there, are there enemies in this game? I don't... Want to tell you? Can I tell no, you? No, you've can already I, answered by not answering. Okay, can, number two. No, I'll tell you after we stop recording. How about that? Okay, okay. And number two, like, are there jump scares? And uh, no, there are no jump scares. There are no. Okay, there not, are no jump scares. Not that I can think of. No, which is like even okay. more a testament to how good it is. Oh my god, it's so creepy without being jump scary. 
Okay, good. That's all. I, that's all I need to know. So don't tell me anymore. You've you've got me on the edge with this one. So I, you should wear that <laughs> as a badge of honor because you know I fucking can't stand these games, dude. You know I find them so boring. So the fact that you've got me like thinking about buying this one is you really went above and beyond in selling it. So okay, let's leave it there. Let's not spoil anymore. Um, we can talk after the show because I do need maybe like a little bit more information. Okay, um, I have I do have one more tiny thing that I just remembered. I okay, say go, for it, go for it. Um, something. This is like me us doing our due diligence about accessibility in the game. Um, oh yes, please. One tiny thing that I want to mention is that this and I, I should have seen this coming a mile away because this has happened with other of these like sort of like small team indie games is that I bought it on PS4. The game does not offer inverted Y-axis for the control oh, no. scheme. So that was really, really, really disappointing for me. Because And like as soon as I bought it and turned on the options menu, I was like, oh, damn it. I should have seen this coming. Because if I had thought about it better, I would have played it on PC. Because A, the immersion would have been better because the PC monitor is like literally right in my face as I'm playing it. And B, um, I don't, like, with a mouse, I don't do inverted on the mouse because that seems strange to me. So, but I do it on controllers. This game does not have Y-axis support for, I mean, it has subtitles. It has all the other good stuff, but it does not have Y-axis support for controllers. However, the game is paced in such a way that I got over that pretty quickly. So it's still a complaint. Like, I almost tweeted the developer last night and it was like, hey, dude, are we going to patch this in? Like, this is kind of a big deal for console players, but I decided not to because after I finished it, um, like, because it's not an action game. You know, you're not, like, first-person shooting shit right, and platforming. Right, right. So it's easy to get around without, you know, no matter how your access um, situation is. But I just want to make that clear. On PS4, there's no inversion for Y access. I suspect on Switch it's probably the same thing because I doubt they would not add it to one and add it to the other. So just everybody know that going in. No inversion. If you're a weirdo like me who does Y-axis inversion, um, just be aware that it does not have that. Good tip, good tip. And final question, do you think this would run okay on the Switch? Because I probably would be more likely to play it there. Does that seem like it would be doable there? Absolutely, I think so. Okay, great. All right. Fair, not too small? Nothing like, would I be straining my eyes for details or anything? Um, I don't think so. I would recommend wearing headphones when you play it because the sound design is really impeccable and I know you're usually not a sound guy. Um, but I don't think... The detail on the screen would be too small. I I don't think so. Okay, I will not play with headphones because that is too scary for me. Oh, I cannot handle that. Man. Cannot cannot handle it. I'm just <laughs> upfront. Uh, I don't go there. I can't do it. So okay. Anyway, let's move on. I got one more game, and then we got to wrap it up. Uh, thank you for that, though. You you have really strongly strongly got me considering it. So okay, moving on. Uh, final game of the night: Metal Wolf Chaos HD. This just came out. I think this week. Originally developed by your favorite developer and mine, FromSoft, the makers of Dark Souls. That's right, folks. Uh, this game came out in 2004, a full 15 years ago, and yeah. it is only just now, this week in 2019, making its way to the West. Uh, this was a very famous game they put out, famous for not getting localized. Um, a lot of people were very surprised at the time. Uh, a lot of importers made a lot of hullabaloo about what a great game it was and how rad it was and how all of us people who don't import are missing out. I've known about this game forever. And as someone who has played literally every game FromSoft has ever put out in America, it was really weird that this one never made it. And I was always, you know, feeling like I missed out because that was something that was right up my alley. 15 years later, probably one of the longest waits ever to get localized. Uh, it's here. I played it, and I have experienced it, and I'm glad that I did. A little bit of backstory just on this. It is a third-person uh, mech 
game, action game. You play the president of the United States of America, who is also <laughs> is also a mech suit pilot. He is in a mech suit. Can, hold on, uh, can we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's 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 pause on that for a moment. You play as the president of the United States of America, who is a mech suit wearing like soldier. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. You're not even a soldier; you're just the president. Like you're just the pres. Uh, terrorists uh, have taken over, but these terrorists are being assisted by the vice president who's trying to uh, enact a coup. Uh, and so you strap on this mech suit and you launch from the White House and you go to take back America by force. That Hell is literally yeah. what this game is about. Uh, it was made on the original Xbox, I believe. Uh, I was doing a little bit of research. I've known about it, but I wasn't quite sure exactly why it didn't come over. There was a lot of stories. Some people said that it was because Real Americans would have been offended by how the Japanese portrayed Americans. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe. Um, as I was doing some more research, it seemed to be more so that it was a combination of the game not performing well in Japan uh, because, I mean, number one, because it was on the Xbox and the Xbox has never done well in Japan. Um, and also I read that there were some comments uh, after the fact from uh, FromSoft saying that Post 9-11, they felt like it was in poor taste to release a game like this in America, so they decided not to for fear of backlash. So, I mean, I guess I see that, although this game is, like, so over-the-top and so ridiculous that I, I find it hard that anybody would be offended by it. But then, what did I just say? Of course people would be offended by it because this is America. Um, and somebody would be offended. I mean, you know, fanboys flip the fuck out anytime a developer even hints about politics being in their game. And this is like the president of America taken over, you know, from terrorists and stuff. I mean, of course it's a political game, although it's also a satire. So I don't know that I agree with their decision to not port it, uh, but I can understand why they did it. And I guess 15 years later, here they are. Nobody well, and also now. like in the interim moment between the game coming out and it finally coming here, like metal gear rising happened between those. And that's like, I mean, I guess, like, Hideo Kojima and that team probably, like, just got it out of the way. They're like, let's make this really embarrassing Japanese-made depiction of America where, like, literally the last boss is, like, you fighting the president who's saying to make America great again, which is very strange. So yes. he just kind of, like, swept the rug out, and then, you know, the guys uh, at From were like, okay, I guess I, I guess we can do this now because, like, he got it out of the way first. Now we can do our ridiculous, like, American satire thing. Absolutely, absolutely. He definitely, Kojima definitely paved the way for that. I mean, he kind of <laughs> wrote the book on that here in America. So um, so that's basically what it is. Uh, a third-person action game where you play as a mech. Um, each, so, okay, so I got to back it up a little bit. This is basically like a history lesson. Uh, for anybody who has played Armored Core, I feel like we, did we talk about Armored Core last episode? I feel like we did. The, on the last, I don't, not on the last one. I know we talked about I feel about like before, recently. I feel like at some point we've talked about Armored Core. Have we never talked about Armored Core on the show? I mean, we've talked about it, but I don't know if it was extremely recent. Okay, well, regardless. Um, so, okay, backing up, let me just give some some history. So, FromSoft has been publishing games in America for a very long time. They did not pop into existence with Dark Souls. And so they had a very wide variety of, of games under their belt uh, way, way, way before Dark Souls ever popped up. So people, I think, just know them for that right now. But this is, this is not a Dark Souls. This is the older FromSoft when they were still making RPGs, when they were still making weird arcade games, when they were still making um, Armored Core. And before Souls, Armored Core was FromSoft's big 
ticket, their bread and butter. This was the thing that they rode to success for many years. There were like a dozen sequels. It ran for like 10 or 11 years as a series. Um, it's kind of forgotten now, but that was their claim to fame. Uh, way, way, way before, before Dark Souls. So this is kind of like an alternate version of Armored Core. Um, it strips away a lot of the Armored Core systems. Uh, so you don't build your mech suit. You don't really alter your mech suit. It just comes kind of prefab. The only thing that you really can do is buy different guns for it, and you can, like, upgrade those guns. Uh, so they've really drastically cut down on the amount of, um, like, modifications that players can do. But other than that, it basically follows the Armored Core playbook. And I know that a lot of people listening to this are like, well, I don't know what the Armored Core playbook is because I've never played those games. No problem. I just wanted you to know that this is, like, the next iteration of Armored Core <laughs> as a history lesson. Now you know. Uh, each level is basically a small open world arena, like really small, like very small. And it's populated by, you know, enemies, tanks, enemy helicopters. Uh, sometimes you fight an enemy robot or a giant boss or something. And you just, you get to, like, you're set loose in this little area. Um, if you go outside the boundaries, it's a game over. So you got to stay within the boundaries, which is how they get around, you know, the, the problem of running out of territory. And you can basically do whatever you want. Like, you can um, go wherever you want. Your mech can, like, jump and hover. Uh, but there's, there's usually like a, a fairly straightforward thing you have to do, like a target, like take out this building, take out this tank, take out this mech or whatever. And however you want to do that, you can just go about doing that. So you jump into action. And the weird thing about this game is that your mech has these little cargo pods on its back. Um, they're really big cargo pods. And when you push a button, they split open, they like explode open. <laughs> and there's like all these guns that are like inside there. It's got like, there's no way those guns could fit in there realistically, but it's just kind of a, you know, just roll with it sort of a thing. Um, so you can rotate through your guns as you wish. Like you can, you have like, I think eight guns total in your backpacks. And so on the right side, you can have like uh, an AK-47 or something. On the left side, you can have a rocket launcher. Or on the right side, you can have like a sniper rifle. On the left side, you can have something else. So you can like mix and match however you want. It's up to you. Um, whatever you want to have. And then just go about your business. Like get the mission done however you can get it done. And, and then you just roll on to the next one. Mission variety is pretty good. Sometimes it's like you're assaulting a base. Sometimes you're attacking a boss. Sometimes there's something moving. Sometimes something's staying still. Sometimes there's, uh, you know, I don't know, various, various conditions. So the, the freshness of the game is pretty good from level to level. That said, um, I like this game more as a history lesson than an actual game for a couple of reasons. Number one, I mean, it's 15 years old. So already it's, it's pretty dated. Although they've given it an HD upgrade, it still looks old like there's just no getting around that <laughs> looks old and FromSoft has never been a powerhouse in graphics anyway that has never been their strength uh this game probably looked janky even back then um other than that the gameplay is real loosey-goosey um it's it's just not great it's not something that i think people will appreciate in modern times i think it was okay back in the day 15 years ago because that was like the best that somebody could do but we've gotten um, a lot more sophisticated games since then, a lot more sophisticated design, and it feels just really janky and sloppy and loose right now. So it's not a very tactical game. It's just basically like an arcade, kind of a run and, run and gun sort of a thing. Also, the story is just trash. It's hot <laughs> garbage. I've had a lot of people tell me it was smart satire or that it was like really insightful or that it was you know, making a statement. No, oh, no, 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 no. It's garbage. It's garbage. Um, I don't think FromSoft is good at telling stories. I really don't. I know that some people hold them up as masterful storytellers. I disagree. Um, but regardless of what you think of Dark Souls storytelling, this storytelling is just trash. The writing is awful. 
The voice acting is awful. The pacing of it's awful. It's just, it's a terrible story. And I got to be honest with you, I started skipping the cutscenes um, about halfway through the game, and I liked the game better when I wasn't watching the cutscenes. Uh, really trash story. So, it's not that fun to play. It's kind of annoying. It's kind of loose. It's kind of just old and janky. Um, I don't really recommend it to anybody except for like the hardest of the hardcore mech heads because it's. You know, it's a little something different. It's a little something that you don't see these days. So if you really love mechs, you might like it just on that level. But I do appreciate it as a history lesson. I mean, as someone who knows FromSoft games inside and out, it's great to finally catch up with this release that we never got. It was great to see what they did with the Army Corps formula when they iterated on it. Um, you know, how they took it to the next level. Uh, interesting to see what they tried to do with the story, even though I think it was 100% not successful. But, you know, there's a lot to learn here from a game design perspective, especially in reference to what they've already put out. And if your only exposure to FromSoft is Dark Souls, I mean, this is going to blow your mind because this is 100% unlike Dark Souls in every way. So this will be a side of FromSoft that a lot of people have never seen. So in that respect, I think it's great. I'm really happy that it came out. I'm glad that I got to play it. I'm happy it's here. But in terms of, like, it being a game on its own merits, uh, it's really old. It's really not fun. Kind of annoying. And I just, I can't really recommend it to people who want it just for the gameplay merits. But if you are a From fan like I am, or if you want to just see where they were at 15 years ago, uh, it's worth it just for that, just to see what they were doing. So kind of mixed on this one. Uh, I think scholars and historians and people who love From should maybe check it out. Everybody else, probably stay away. I don't think it holds up that well unless you already have a love of the material. Hmm. I can't really uh, say that this game is something that interests me, but I feel like we kind of come around to the conversation every once in a while of sort of like, um, you know, like the cataloging of games and, you know, what, sometimes there are games out there that just disappear. You know, like we've talked about like PT in the past that it's possible for games to just disappear and how we need to have games like, you know, archived like movies are like you can get a hold of so many movies, even if they came out like 50 years ago. But, you know, good luck finding a game that came out, I mean, sometimes five years ago, you know, or totally. maybe 20 yeah, years totally. ago. So, yeah. you know, I like that. And I even talked about this a little bit last week um, on the Switch that like somehow the Switch is becoming this weird like system where games that you just aren't expecting are launching on it. You know, whether it's an HD upgrade or whether it's not. And I just like, even if the game, you know, this game as a history lesson, like maybe isn't that playable or isn't that wonderful anymore, but just the fact that it's there and exists and will hopefully always be there on the Switch and exists. Like, you know, I can't, I can't see a situation which would get like pulled or something. Um, but it's important, even if it's not necessarily like, you know, groundbreaking or, you know, up to the standards of what we're used to in a modern game. Just to clarify real quick, I may have misspoken myself. I'm playing this on PS4, not on the Switch. So if oh, I said that, okay. If I said that, that's my error. I meant to say PS4. I don't know what I said, but I may have given you the wrong impression. But it's on PS4, not the Switch. Okay, well that's clarify. even better then. I because I think I've seen people tweeting about this being on the Switch, and, um, but even better that it's on multiple consoles because I could see because like we you know we've talked about it on the Switch too. Like there's just games that are suddenly coming to Switch that we didn't expect. Totally, but totally. Yeah, even Absolutely. better that this is not just a Switch exclusive for now. Yeah, so again, I'm really happy that I finally got to play it. This was a, a giant hole in their catalog that I was always very curious about, so I'm glad that curiosity has been satisfied, um, even all these years later. Even if I didn't think it was that fun to play, I'm really glad I got to play it. But yeah, if you if you don't have a historical interest in it, probably stay away. But if you do, 
check it out because I mean, I mean, 15 years, that's a long time to wait. And, uh, I guess better late than never though. That's for sure. <laughs> so, all right. That's all I have. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, I don't think so. All right. This brings us to the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening, folks. We will be back next week with another episode. Uh, before we wrap up, still giving away the free games. So many free games. I've got PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and I have so many fucking PC codes. <laughs> I have so many codes. If you email me and request PC, I will hook you up with like five maybe 10 games like i've got so many games to give away seriously i will hook you up um if you request pc this is your week you are going to cash in anyway if you want a free game on any console or system platform whatever just email ask for one that's all it takes i will give it to you no problem it might be great it might be awful but either way it's going to be free where do you email the same address that you uh, send us your comments thoughts feedback ideas anything else you'd like to hit us up so video games podcast at gmail.com one email address does it all you can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com after the show goes up we are also on twitter collectively as a show at so video games but you can reach us individually i am on twitter and instagram although gotta be honest haven't been updating instagram very often lately uh, i'll get back to it though you can find me on either way uh b-r-a-d-g-a-l-l-a-w-a-y always no o's Corey, where can they find you uh, I can also be found on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, my username, much like Brad's, is also just my first and last name. We like to keep things simple for you over here at the So Video Games Show. And my first and last name are Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excelente. That is it for us this week. Thank you, folks, again for joining us for another So Video Games. We'll be back again next week. But for now, this is Bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. Bye.